You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, y'all, good morning. Uh, man, what an awesome Sunday we've had so far. Uh, get to experience another baptism this morning. We have one at the 830. It's such a great, great morning. Uh, but my name is Zach Meredith. I'm the group's director here. Uh, thanks for being here this morning. We're excited as we get to come together, right, as a body of believers and worship God and dig into his word together as we're continuing in our study of the book of Acts. We've been going through the book of Acts, looking at the start of the church, right, looking at the spread of the gospel after the ascension of Jesus. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, we've been in uh, Acts 3 and 4. And we've primarily been looking at this story of Peter and John. And they heal the disa- this disabled man and they tell him, hey, your greatest need is not physical, but it's spiritual. And the only way for spiritual healing is through Jesus. That's the only way. And then this leads Peter to preach this gospel-packed sermon. It results in John and, and Peter and him being arrested. They get threatened But the apostles in the church, they don't cower, they don't go into the shadows, but they pray for more boldness in the face of persecution. And as we are continuing, we're seeing the church continue to grow as we look through this book. And today we're going to be at the end of chapter 4 and the first part of chapter 5, where Luke is going to kind of open, open the curtain a little bit into the the interior life of the local church. He's going to bring us into this huddle And he's going to tell us about the generosity of the church. He does that by giving us two stories. One story is going to paint this wonderful, positive, encouraging picture of generosity where we go hallelujah. And then the other story, he contrasts it with this picture that's scary. And it's it's sobering. It's bone chilling. And he does these, he tells us these two stories to illustrate the nature and importance of, of unity right, in the church, because the first story highlights how unity is experienced, and the other story shows how unity is endangered, but overall, I hope we can walk away from this morning uh, understanding why Christian unity is essential, and it spurs us on to pursue unity and generosity here at City Church as we seek to live out the gospel here and then across the world, so let's pray, and then we're going to dive into Acts chapter 4, pray with me. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning. God, we thank you for um, the baptisms that we got to celebrate today. We thank you for life change. We thank you for your word. God, as we dive in, I pray that you would uh, open our hearts and our minds to what uh, you would have to teach us today and that we would leave uh, just so encouraged to go on mission for you. In your name I pray, amen. So like I said, this morning we're jumping into Acts chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and flip there, verse 32, and we're going to be going all the way to chapter 5, verse 11. So 432 to 511, and let's start in verse 32. You can read with me, Acts 432. It said, now the entire group of those who believed, so the church, right, the early church, were of one heart and one mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but instead they held everything in common. With great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on all of them. So Luke, right off the bat here, tells us of one of the the main central characteristics of the first church, and that's unity, right? They were unified. 
He says they were of one heart and one mind. He says that they held everything together in common. So I think a good question to ask is, well, what unified them, right? What held them together? In the face of all this persecution and threatening, what could they come around and find peace in? Is, is faith in Jesus, right? That's what unifies them. They were of one heart, right? hearts transformed by the Holy Spirit. After declaring Jesus as Savior, they were of one mind, they knew who Jesus was. They truly believed that, yes, he is the son of God. And they were on mission. One heart, it spreads. We see it spread. And they had the same mind and they understood what mattered. They were committed to the same gospel of the risen Christ, right? The gospel message that Jesus is sent down and he lives a perfect, sinless life. Even though he does that, he dies the sinner's death and his people's place. God raises him from the grave, permanently forgiving his people's sins if we put our faith in him. That's what they were, and that's what we are in this room unified in. And Paul talks more about this in the book of Colossians, about where we find our unity and where we find our life as believers. Look at Colossians 3. It says, above all, put on love. Put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ to which you were also called in one body rule your hearts and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitudes in your heart. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We see right here in Colossians 3 that love, right, is the perfect bond of unity. First, loving Jesus, and then that cascades down to loving others. Because his gospel is the thing that brings people together in mind and heart and kind of what we read in, in Acts 4. And so the tr God establishes unity, we know, through Jesus, and it's our job to fight for that unity, to pursue that unity, and maintain it just like the early church does here in chapter 4. And when you think about it, I think that the unity that we see here, it's pretty remarkable considering what we know about the diversity of the early local church, right? If you remember at Acts 2, go back to Acts 2, and we see the Pentecost, the group of people confessing Jesus as Lord for the first time. It's described as every nation under heaven, right? So people from different lands, cultures, languages, backgrounds, come together and they believe in a risen Christ and they enjoyed the God-established unity. And I say that to remind myself, to remind all of us that unity doesn't mean uniformity, that the body of Christ is diverse. Praise God, we celebrate that. It's made up of people of different races, of nationalities, of languages, of preferences, of styles. And we're unique Individuals created by God were tied together in unity by the gospel. That's our strongest source of unity, not preferences, not styles, but the gospel. And as we continue, this is kind of a spoiler alert, but as we continue to study the book of Acts, we'll see Christians scatter, right? We'll see the apostles go on missionary journeys to the ends of the earth. We see church plants planted all in the name of taking the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth, 
right? We look at this verse every week, but they will see them act this out as we strive to act it out. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive the power, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Something that we see them do and that we strive to do here in Tallahassee. Now say that to say we'll see their physical location change, right? We'll see their physical location change, but they're unified, their, their unity does not change. They're unified as ever because, like we talked about, our unity, their unity is rooted in Jesus. And the gospel, and I think a very practical example of this in, in our city church family is uh, Ashlyn Portero, right? If uh, many of you know who Ashlyn is, uh, she faithfully served here at this church on staff and as a member for years, for years. And about a year ago, uh, she felt called to go to London. She prayed about it, and, and we sent her to London to help support one of our church plants over there, Redeemer's Queen Park, to serve on their staff as they start this church in a neighborhood that does not know the Lord. Right? And while it was a bittersweet, many tears were shed, right? With her not being here in Tallahassee, we are just as unified with her as ever. I think I Googled it was like 4,230 something miles away. And we're unified with her because of our sharing of the gospel and our other missionaries sent as well. We are unified together. And because of this unity that we just looked at, look at the culture of the church that started in verse 34. Because of the unity, look at the culture. Verse 34, for there was not a needy person among them because all those who owned lands or houses sold them. They brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. And I think that there are two effects highlighted here of what happens in the believer, in the Christian, after believing in Jesus. The first one is that the heart is loosened in our relationship to things, in our relationship to possessions. And the second is that our heart is tightened in its relationship with people. And we can look at verse 32, the, the first verse we looked at, and pinpoint a word that paves the way for those two verses we read, and that is the word believed, right? Those who believed. Believing in Jesus, trusting in him with our needs, being satisfied in him and him alone is the key to understanding the root of what's happening here in the story. Right? It says right here, there's not a needy person among them. It's like 5,000 Christians plus, 5,000 plus. Because those who had the ability, put it in modern terms, to liquidate assets to help with the needs of others in the church, they did so. Why? Well, because of the heart change that came from believing in Jesus as Lord. It says right here they sold extra lands, extra houses, they gave sacrificially, not because it was mandated by the apostles, right? You have extra stuff, you have, we'll sell it because we need money. No, it wasn't mandated but because those people saw this need and they had, remember, one heart and one mind and they knew that they could help. And this generosity comes from their love. 
and believing in Jesus. And they were generous towards other Christians in the church. I think it's pretty unique that Luke, who's the author, Matthew, Mark, Luke, that same Luke wrote uh, Acts, that he highlights this group of very generous people who were sensitive to the needs of others in the church. Right? Hey, no one went to sleep on the streets. No one went without clothes. No one went to bed hungry. If they could prevent it, they said, not on our watch. Not on our watch. So we see here the members of the early church took care of one another to the extent of the wealthy even selling property to ensure that this reality happened. And while, you know, I first read this and you may be thinking that the same thing I thought, man, that kind of looks radical, right? That generosity looks radical. And to some extent it was, but I believe that we do, and I know that we do see this type of generosity by members of this church. Right? I, 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 can, I think we can read these two verses and both be encouraged and be challenged. I think it's both. We can be encouraged by this and challenged by this. Because if we think back in the fall in our first stages of this Let's Go two-year initiative, we saw members of this church sell property. Right? We saw members of this church sell investment properties, homes, cars, boats, and take that money and lay it at the feet of God being faithful in generosity for the sake of spreading the gospel. But as we know, as we read through Acts, and just we know it, it takes an entire church, right? All of us unified together on mission. And that's why one of our biggest goals for Let's Go was 100% participation. You probably heard that a lot. 100% participation for those who call City Church home. Not because we want to guilt trip you know, people to give or we want as much money as possible, but because... Giving is a spiritual discipline, right? Just like reading the Bible, just like praying, just like being in community, giving is an act of worship to God so we can read this and we can see this example of our brothers and sisters in Christ and be called to this type of generosity, right? Sacrificially generous with the blessings that God has given us in this room because remember, believing in Jesus does two things. It loosens our grip on things, and it tightens our relationship with people. And then Luke, the author, he, he kind of like brings us into the huddle. He shows us these things going on. And then he shifts and he gives us two real examples of unity and generosity. And like I said before, one really good and one terrifying, right? He, he tells us of this guy, Barnabas, a man who has experienced freedom that is found in faith in Jesus. And then he shows us these people, Ananias and Sapphira, a husband-wife combo, who try to deceive the Holy Spirit and the church by faking their generosity and, cha and heart change. So let's pick back up in verse 36. We're about to do a marathon reading. We're going 436 through 511. Here we go. 436, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, we're going to call him Barnabas the rest of the sermon, which is translated to son of encouragement. He sold the field that he owned. He brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. However, he kept back part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge and brought a portion of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias, Peter asked, why has Satan filled your heart to lie 
to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the proceeds of the land. Wasn't it yours while you possessed it? And after you sold it, wasn't like that money at your disposal? So why is it that you had planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. And when he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead. A great fear came on all those who heard. The young man got up, wrapped his body, carried him out and buried him. Verse 7, about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Tell me, Peter asked her, did you sell the land for this price? Yes, she said, for that price, exactly. Then Peter said to her, why did you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Instantly, she dropped dead at his feet. The young man came in, they found her dead, they carried her out. They buried her beside her husband, and then a great fear came on the whole church and all who heard these things. At this time, uh, we're going to give another opportunity to give your tithes and offerings. Uh, as this story may have compelled you to rethink some things, I'm just, I'm totally kidding. I read that, I was like, I know why I'm preaching now, because that's a story. But Luke, right here, Luke the author introduces us to a man named Joseph, better known as Barnabas, right, which we read is translated to son of encouragement. I think that's one of the coolest nicknames. As someone who loves history, who studied history in college, who taught history, uh, we know, uh, we often see adjectives given to people uh, after or before their names to kind of describe what they were known for, what they did, characteristics, how they ruled a couple that came to the top of my mind were like Peter the Great, Ivan the Terrible, that's Russian history. Uh, the Swamp Fox, which Francis Marion, the Patriots, based off of his, uh, loosely based off of his um, life. Buffalo Bill in the Wild West. Uh, the Desert Fox, right? General Rommel, the Governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Honest Abe. And like the list goes on, you probably have your favorites as well. I still think Son of Encouragement has the belt. It holds the title for the coolest nickname. Because this man, Barnabas, was so well-known and well-respected in the church that they gave him a nickname. I mean, he's legendary in the local church. And we first see him pop up on the scene right here in verse 37 where Luke describes one of his actions. It tells, him that, it tells us that he sells one of his fields, he brings the money to the church, lays it at the apostles' feet, and he trusts them to distribute as they see fit. He doesn't want the credit. He's not saying, hey, you can have this money only if you spend it here and do this and do that. No, no, no. He doesn't, he trusts the apostles to spread it as they see fit. He wasn't interested in self-glorification, self-interest, self-promotion. All he wanted was to glorify God and help the needs of others in the church. And this is the first time Right, that were introduced to Barnabas, but he's mentioned over 23 times in the book of Acts. Later in chapter 9, we see him advocate, put his arm around this new convert who was persecuting Christians and, and had this come to Jesus moment literally on the road to Damascus. Saul, who is now Paul, who writes the majority of the New Testament, and he takes him to the early church and said, Hey, you don't have to be scared anymore. I vouch for this guy. And then we see Barnabas get sent to this city called Antioch. 
to help shepherd this new rowdy Gentile convert who no one wants to touch is. And Barnabas goes, hey, I'll go. I'll go. And while he's there, they hear about needs in Jerusalem. And so they collect an offering and they say, who are we going to send all this money with back down to Jerusalem? Who do we trust? Barnabas. And they send him. Paul. But when he goes on his first missionary journey, he goes, I need a companion. I need someone I can trust. Who does he pick? Barnabas. And then lastly, Paul's going on his third journey. Once again, Barnabas comes around this guy named John Mark, who had previously left a missionary trip early, and Paul's like, I don't want anything to do with him. He left early. Barnabas' like, man, let's give him another chance. This man loves the Lord. He's like Forrest Gump of Acts, right? He just pops up in the most important parts of the book, and he's the man, and he's the champion of the gospel and of missions, And like I said before, I mean, his integrity, his generosity, his character, his love for the Lord, it's legendary among the early church. And he's one of the most lovable leaders of the early church that we read about in Acts. And right here in Acts 4, Luke shows us how Barnabas' trusted ministry begins. It begins with him demonstrating freedom from the love of things and his heart for the love of people. And he takes one of his costly possessions and sells it and gives it. Luke introduces him here as he stands in stark contrast with this couple that's about to be introduced. Basically saying, here's a really encouraging story of generosity. Be like this guy. Uh Uh-oh, here's a story of Ananias and Sapphira. Because if you remember earlier, this husband-wife combo are scheming together, right? They sell the land, just like Barnabas. They bring money to the church, just like Barnabas. So what's the difference? Well, the Holy Spirit, like we talked about last week, the Holy Spirit working in his people, the Holy Spirit works in Peter and helps him discern this deception going on. And the fact that Ananias and Sapphira, they didn't give all the money like they claimed. Here's all the money from the land, except some in our back pocket. Thus lying to both Peter, the church, most importantly to God. And they totally discredited the work of of the Holy Spirit and its work in the generosity of the church. And we see destruction, right? And we see punishment that falls on this husband and wife duo. We can look at it and say, well, the Holy Spirit, God, did not punish Ananias and Sapphira for not giving all their money for selling the land. I mean, they weren't required to sell their land. It was totally voluntary. God acted because it was clear that they wanted the appearance of Barnabas. They wanted to be seen as generous, sacrificial, a good church member. They wanted the reputation like Barnabas without the compassion of Barnabas. They wanted to look humble, but secretly just wanted the approval of man and the approval of the church. So what'd they do? They lied. They lied. They said, man, they, I mean, they probably saw Barnabas lay this at the feet of the apostles. They said, whoa, look how people view that guy. We want that. Maybe they wanted a really cool nickname too. But we see here what happens when the Holy Spirit is tested. 
And I think it's a fair, you know, I was thinking of this while reading this, and maybe you are too. I think it's, you know, fair to sit here and say, wow, what a harsh punishment. Like, where's the forgiveness? Where's the second chance? Those are good questions, and I honestly don't see the answer explicitly laid out here. But I think it's, it's pretty safe to say that this was a way that God protected the unity of the church, right, through the work of the Holy Spirit, by using the Holy Spirit, and also letting the early church know and us know as we read this that God is not to be lied to, deceived, mocked. And Ananias and Sapphira, they lost sight of the authority of God as the sovereign creator. And you know, sometimes we just don't know the reasoning behind what God does or why he chooses to do what he does, but I know we can be 100% certain that God's in control, that his plan is greater than anything that we could scheme up. And Ananias and Sapphira, they needed this healthy fear of the Lord. Right, Proverbs 1 teaches us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if we don't stand in awe of God, I mean, we're just unwise. And hypocrisy was the downfall of Ananias and Sapphira. And we can look and say, man, they needed the gospel. They needed the gospel. Were they the first cultural Christians? Who knows? Were they even Christians? Were they just Christians and deceived by the devil? We don't know. But we know that they needed the gospel applied to their lives. A gospel that frees us from addiction of self and stuff. It frees us from pretending. It frees us from wanting praise from people. Because right here is a practical example that the fear of man and craving for approval, it leads us to lie. It leads us to cheat, to steal, to deceive because we're always trying to catch up. And Jesus actually, in his ministry on earth, he speaks to this type of hypocrisy when he calls out the Pharisees, right? He does this in every gospel, but we're going to look at Matthew real quick where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He goes, woe to you. Jesus is the, is the speaker here. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but the inside is full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup so that the outside of it may also become clean. It says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which appear beautiful, on the outside, but inside you're full of bones of the dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way on the outside you seem righteous to people, on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And one more for good measure. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. If you know about the Pharisees, the religious Jewish elite, you know that they wanted to be known and praised for their righteous acts, but their hearts were wicked. Right? And Jesus gives a couple examples of what that would look like. Right, You're like a clean cup on the outside, but dirty on the inside. Like the one cup we forget about under a car seat. Right, You take it out, you're like, oh, I could use this again. You look inside, you start gagging. Some of you, that's way too real. He says also they're like whitewashed tombs. Right, Beautiful on the outside, but you open up the lid. It's full of bones and death doing spiritual things for clout, right? And people sit there and look and go, oh my gosh, look how holy they are. Did you hear that awesome prayer? I could never pray like that. Look how much money they gave. 
Look how smart they are. All the while, those very people are deceiving because the motivation of the Pharisees wasn't to glorify God, but it was to impress people. And this is the same posture that we see here with Ananias and Sapphira, right? This act of dishonesty and hypocrisy for the approval of others and the appearance of being like Barnabas, the appearance of being this perfect Christian, this generous Christian. And so like the Pharisees, Ananias and Sapphira here, they wanted the accolades without the surrender to Jesus. They wanted the appearance without the humility. And we know, based on what we just read in Matthew, what Jesus thinks of that. We know what the Holy Spirit thinks of it here in Acts. I think a great reflection question as we go through our week is, does this describe you? I I have to ask myself that all the time. Does this describe me? Where are my motives in this? Where is my reward? So we see this picture painted here between Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira, right? Barnabas, generosity over possessions, Ananias and Sapphira, possessions over generosity. Barnabas, fear of God, Ananias and Sapphira, fear of man. Barnabas, all in for the mission of the church, Ananias and Sapphira, they're faking, I don't know what to say, but faking for the mission of the church. Barnabas, in step with the Holy Spirit, Ananias and Sapphira, out of step with the Holy Spirit. So let's read this and be like Barnabas. And for many of you in this room, let's continue to be like him. And for others, man, what a great opportunity to start living generously, right? Living in unity with the church, being a part of the church. On mission, unified. Barnabas, I mean, we thank God. What a great example given to us. I think we should strive to be a church who looks, actively looks for ways to be generous, looks for ways to sacrifice for others, and we do this gladly. Why? Because of the truth of the resurrection, a deeper love from Jesus, for Jesus, believing he is who he said he was, that will make us Barnabas-like servants. And so we'll pursue this together. We can be praying for unity based on the cross of Christ, which leads us to live on mission as a church. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to recite the Apostles' Creed together as a church. So let's go go ahead and stand, and I'll pray, and then the words will be on the screen, and we'll read them together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for um, the scripture that we read. God, we thank you for the example of Barnabas, God. We pray that you know, as we go through uh, our, our lives here in Tallahassee and, and situations come up, that, that this story would, would come to the forefront of our mind and that we would strive to be generous, we would strive to be um, unified together in your gospel. We thank you for sending Jesus down uh, to live a life we could not live so that we could have unity with you and with others. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. God, we pray that the Holy Spirit would bolden us to go into Tallahassee, into our workplaces, into our schools and classrooms, into our homes, and share the gospel with those who don't know. It's in your name I pray. Amen.